Hey everybody, welcome to Listen Money Matters. Turn your fiscal muffin top into a six-pack. Feel the gains. Yeah. <laughs> My name is Thomas, and I'm here as always with Andrew. Hey, how are you? And what are you drinking? Dude, almost forgot what to say there. I, I'm I'm <laughs> phenomenal. I'm phenomenal because we're we're recording two episodes, and and I I kind of have to gush. My buddy sent me a bunch of beer. He wants to open his own brewery, whatever. And I had his Imperial Stout uh, last, um, before this. And it was the best one that I've had. Like, I mean, you could taste the coffee, like nuts. It was just like really good. Hmm. And uh, now I'm drinking his uh, Pale Ale. It's called Galaxy Pale Ale from his, his brewing company, Crown Heights Brewery. You good? And... Dude, it is the easiest pale ale drink I've ever had. I like the hoppy nice. flavor. I like, you know, the pale ale, but sometimes they're just too intense of a beer for, yeah. like, the moment. And it is such an easy drink, and it has, like, this, like, flowery aroma. It's just, ah, it's, like, good. Mm. And usually, like, I like pale ales, but I'm not going to, like, rave about it or, like, go drink, like, 50 pale ales, but it's good, man. I have not gotten into pale ales yet. And they eventually, as I as I grow older, my palate will probably change and maybe include them. Dude, I actually think that's like you know, it's like almost like an acquired taste. It's like yeah. when you drank wine that one sip when you're like eight. You're like, why would anyone drink this? This is gross. Uh, yeah, well, wine's interesting because my my girlfriend's uncle he's a huge wine guy, and he wants me to become like a wine person, and I'm like a beer person and a scotch person. So he's like he's like working on me every time we go over there for dinner. There'll be like different, like ten different kinds of wine, not ten, like three maybe. But it's growing on me. At first, I was like, I don't like any wine. Now, like we get this sparkling Moscato. I think it's pretty good. I've tried a few white wines. I like them. Haven't yet found a red that I like, but we're getting there. Cabs are like pretty I, good. I won't be the disappointment to him. <laughs> <laughs> so you're drinking something in a glass that kind of looked cool. I feel oh, like it, is that an yeah. Apple product right there? No, it's my Aperture Science mug. Have you played Portal? Ah, huh. uh, yes, I have. Yeah, yeah. Well, huh. Portal, yeah, Portal Two. It's the it's like the '70s logo from Portal Two, which I freaking love. That game's amazing. I'm not like a huge character-driven game fan. Mm-hmm. Like usually, like. Like third you mean like person, first like, person style, you're saying? Like adventure games with stories in general. Mm. Like I'm not the kind of person who's going to like sit down and play Mass Effect or like Dragon Age or any sort of like character driven action adventure. I, it's just hard for me to get into. Or like RPGs are very hard for me to get into. You know, the more I, I learn about you, the more I am like, wow, this is like <laughs> a younger me right here. Because <laughs> I, I want like strategy shit. Like I want to like get into like the thick of it. The story yeah. doesn't pull me in. I have I have like three game like three genres I love the most. Uh, one is like strategy games like Civ and things like that. I freaking mm. love those. Um, I love super fast paced platformers. Mm. So like Super Meat Boy, Super Mario Brothers. Um, like uh, let's see here. I don't even know. <laughs> so <laughs> dude, do you remember from PS One? It was like a I think it was Abe's Odyssey. I never played Abe's Odyssey, but I've heard oh, it's amazing. I was really good. So it was like yeah. kind of strategy platformer. Yeah, like that. Like I love like Rayman stuff like that. And then the third one is like music games. Like DDR is just my my shit. I just I so can't. much. DDR. I have no coordination. <laughs> <laughs> like like I, I played so much Guitar Hero back in the day. Did you ever play that? Guitar Hero? Oh, or, I like, played. Rock band. 
I played a little bit. I'm so bad, like, no one wants to play with me. They're like, okay, Andrew, like, that was good. The party, you killed the party. I was the kid that was, like, practicing the, like, Through the Fire and Flames Dragon Force song an expert, trying to get, like, 100% notes and stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Those are the kind of games I like. I'd be, like, in the arcade, and, like, uh, before I could play DDR, (laughs) I had to make sure there was, like, an ambulance, like, nearby, (laughs) because I'm definitely going to try and hit a button, like, slip, crack my skull on the floor or something. (laughs) That's actually a concern now, because I I almost played nothing but doubles, Mm -hmm. and the the arcade I play out, like, they don't do a very good job of dusting off the pads, so I have to, like, wipe it off every song, otherwise it gets dusty, and then, like, I'll do a crossover and slip. Oh, shit, dude. Like, yeah, I don't want to do that. I don't want to die. So I was like, wipe it off every time. But Portal, it's like, it's a character-driven game, like first person, but like, I love the puzzle-solving element. Like, I love having to think, figure things out. That's amazing. I don't play too much like Call of Duty, stuff like that. Yeah, I never. But anyway, we digress. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Today's catchphrase was, turn your fiscal muffin top into a six-pack and feel the gains. And that's from at Rage Against Twitter. Which I believe uses like the original Twitter spelling T W I T R. Is that how it was originally spelled? You know, maybe. Very similar. I, I don't know. It's very similar to that. It was not how it is now. It was like all startupy, like Tumblr with like the R following the thing, the you know the last consonant. The guy, the guy's like pictures, like super cool. It's like this like face. It's like all angry and shit. Is it? I I, I was like, it's a face, and it's actually just the Hulk. I was like, it's oh, an angry it's... face that's kind of green. <laughs> Just the Hulk. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, and he's really, he looks like he's really strong. Nice. <laughs> well, anyway, hey, if you got catchphrases you want us to read in the show, send them over to us. We're at Money Matters Man on Twitter, or you can post them to our Facebook page. We're just listening to Money Matters on Facebook. And today, what are we talking about here? Uh, how to pay for college while you're in college. Is that correct? That's right. And so I just want to say that um, it just so happens that we have a Mr. Thomas Frank on who may or may not have done sure. this and and may know a thing or two. But this was actually a question that was asked uh, months ago. And like, uh, seriously, you guys email me. You let me know what you want to cover. I add it to the list. And we may not cover it immediately, but like we will. And so it's been asked a few times. And since I have the expert with me. And I, I've kind of did a little myself. I figured, like, we'd, we'd get into it. Yeah. So, man, where do I even start? Um, Freshman I, year? I think, yeah, the, <laughs> the first thing is, you know, when you're deciding on your college, uh, you need to think mm. about the affordability of your school, right? Dude, case in point, I really wanted to go to this college, Stevens, Stevens Institute Technology. Mm-hmm. And it was like, it's private and it was like 30 something thousand dollars a year. And uh, I wound up going to NGIT, like a state school, which I don't even know what it cost, but it was like basically nothing. <laughs> I mean, like it was like literally nothing, you know. I don't think you know what that word means. What nothing means? <laughs> literally. <laughs> literally. No, I it was. You, you paid, you, you got a little bit of debt, didn't you? Like you graduated a teensy bit, didn't you? Uh, yeah, but before, I mean, like. So very little bit, and it was from my own doing because oh, uh, there were some right. classes that I took and I didn't pass, and so I had to okay. pay. Like, yeah, okay. But um, my parents helped in a major way. Um, they basically covered everything but my fuck ups. So gotcha. Yeah. All right. So the first thing I want to talk about is this thing called scope insensitivity, because this majorly affects your choice of college, which affects your ability to pay it. So th- there were studies done. 
where people were asked, how much money would you donate to save like eight birds a year from drowning in oil spills? Mm. People would give a number, you know, I, I would donate like a hundred bucks for that. So then they came back and like, okay, how much money would you donate to save like 80 birds? How much money would you donate to save 800 birds? And they're like, $103. And it's like $101. So $103. <laughs> save 800. So, like, we have this thing. We, we can't properly appreciate scope, mm. you know, because our brains are wired to see the emotional, like, vivid picture of it. So, you think, I, I can think of a picture of a bird drowning in oil, and it's very depressing, and, you know, they're. They're flapping their little wings and they're covered in black slick. And, you know, the, the, the difference between that and, like, imagining a bunch of birds doing that over, you know, a year's course of time mm. doesn't really change a whole lot. Of my, like, the emotional response isn't very different. So we have the scope and sensitivity. So tying this to education. Uh, education is marketed as, like, this investment. You know, your, your goals are going to be achieved. So there's the visceral emotional thing. Like, your goals are going to be achieved, right? Mm. Uh, price tag for that. $5,000 a year, you know, state school or $80,000 or like you know, $30,000 a year, $20,000 a year, super expensive private school. And look, this one's your dream school. This one's next to the beach. This one's got Howard Stern was the alumni and the professor has got 17 Nobel prizes in physics and space travel. And he went back in time. Like these things they they serve to like create your picture of the school like your dream school and you don't see the scope of the cost like your brain doesn't recognize oh that's four times as much money per year and my ability to pay that off is not likely to be four times as high and because i went to this school what is this whole dream school i mean and and i i know because i also felt it and was looking for the dream school yeah and and i got into my not dream school and it right. became my dream school, you know, because you I think you're there and you make it awesome. So is yeah. that almost like poisoning in and of itself, like idolizing this place that you've really not experienced ever? Exactly. Yeah. I, I think it's like it, it's posited as like this school is the Willy Wonka golden ticket to the best life of your dreams. It's like <laughs> it's the Hogwarts Express. It's going to take you to the magical school and you just got to ride that train all the way. But it, it's not like that, you know. Mm. It's not a magic bullet. It's it's an, it's one experience, you know. It's a bundle of opportunities, and I think we have this like myth of fit in the education industry. We're like, you got to find the college that's a perfect fit for you. Mm. What's a good fit for you? A small private liberal arts institution, art school, a big school, stuff like that. There are and, so many people yeah. in these schools. Like there will be people that fit with you, and you'll you'll right. fit in. I mean, yeah, and I, I think one of these big things is students go, oh, you know, I've been told that state schools are really big. I don't want to get lost. I, you know, they feel like they're going to be lost in this sea of of people. Mm. And having having been to a state school with 28,000 people in it, that's not the case. Because naturally with 28,000 people, you get uh, learning communities, you get school organizations, you get friends, you get see, I was actually like, going to say. You are going to find a, a group of friends, you know. I was going to be like, so you're going to get lost. And I was going to be like. You are going to get lost, but it's going to be great because you yeah. know what? It's not going to be like that small high school with like a hundred kids and you know, you had beans and you shit your pants and then the rest <laughs> of your high school experience was terrible. Like in college, you shit your pants and no one gives a shit. In college, you shit your pants and then go, high five, man. You must have had a wide weekend. <laughs> exactly. Like that's my man right there. He shit his pants like no one's business. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think that's the big thing. And a lot of people, I think that they view these big schools as like, 
I'm just going to be one little tiny sardine in a giant school of sardines and be, you know, it's like, it's like gray and, and very, you know, same all the way through. And no, it's not. It's like there's thousands of little tiny pockets of, of individuality and, and cool little things you can find your way into. So, you know, don't think that just because a school is big that it's not going to have, it's not going to be fit for you because there's, it's almost like there's a bunch of different schools within it. All right. So number one key. And I mean, like by far, I, this is probably like, like the rich tip is like don't pick a school that's ridiculously expensive because yeah w- one it's ridiculously expensive and two it's gonna be really hard to pay for school while you're attending right but or just at all like I kind of I kind of have a base like tempered uh, opinion on this that I give out because mm-hmm. there are a lot of people who are over on like the I'm Paul Graham and I don't think you should ever go to college because you can follow your passion and learn via Google and then there's people that are like. You got to go to Harvard no matter what. Mm. What I say is, you know, college is like 90% what you make of it and the effort you put in. So go to and like in-state university or a community college or something that you can afford unless you can secure non-debt financial aid mm. to go to your dream school. Like if if uh, like the JDF RF Foundation wants to give you $100,000 to go get your master's degree or whatever, then yeah, take it. Do it. Go ahead. Because you don't got to pay that back. Dude. But don't finance it with debt. So so on that line, there is this form, and I think it's the FAFSA form, but you're going to have to correct me, mm. where like, this is the student loan thing, right? The FAFSA? Is that the... Yeah, it's the free application for federal student aid. So, so it's for federal aid. First of all, I, I've read a ton of things, and I've heard it, and I've heard you say it, and I was listening to uh, Marketplace, one of the podcasts I listen to like every morning like while I shower or whatever, mm. just kind of get like the daily stuff. And... um. So much money is actually left on the table. Like, they, they, no one, like, so few people submit forms to actually request this money that all the money's yeah. not even given out, which is ridiculous. There's money sitting there. And it's like almost yeah. like you could just get if your parents don't make $50 million, like, you almost might just get it because, like, no one else is claiming it. So, this is, this is true when it comes to private scholarships. When it comes to the FAFSA, it's not like it's need based. I, I, think, I know it's I definitely people, need based. I think yeah, people put out this image like, oh, there's millions of dollars sitting on the table of educational funding that you can just go out and grab, but you're not going to get it through the FAFSA just by like willing yourself to get it. The FAFSA is like TurboTax, you know, it's an algorithm. Mm. So you put in your information, you plug it in, you go through the magical Willy Wonka machine of processing, and it spits out your uh, expected family contribution, which is a number based on all the all the data that it expects that the family is able to provide and then it will um, take that and then define your eligibility for aid to, uh, based on that. Now the the key thing is the eligibility for aid does not necessarily mean it's going to be free aid. Mm. It may be it could be grants, it could be scholarships, but it could also be uh, just federal loans and it could be like work study eligibility. Which is huge. And and I want to get into work study in a second, mm. like like in a big way. But um one of the things oh shit, I think I just brain farted. Ah, <laughs> oh, damn. Ah, ah, now I remember. Sorry. And you know, we'll keep that in. Maybe I maybe make we'll. a fart noise. 
<laughs> so uh, I got like 37 episodes into my own podcast before I made a fart noise. Oh, like, dude, I, I was I doing a pretty it, good I, run. I was doing it on like episode three. I'm like, we're uncensored. I was like belching into the mic. <laughs> like I was like, we're five years old. Like no, but Mike and my dad's not listening to this. We're gonna go crazy. <laughs> exactly. We're gonna fart the mic. Just don't tell my mom. <laughs> <laughs> like I was, I was listening to this thing, and they said. Uh, the, the, one of the biggest barriers for people filling out their FAFSA form is uh, it, like you have to put household income on there and yep. like kids don't know how to ask their parents that or the parents don't even know, you know, and yeah. it's like all this whole thing where it's like it's a major barrier to submitting the form and a lot of kids just don't even do it because it requires information like that. Yeah. And Which blew my mind. It's sad. The FAFSA is one of you know my industry, you know, being in my industry kind of like skews my view on this. But I think the FAFSA is like one of those areas where people really fall through the cracks more than a lot of other areas. Like because it is a standardized form that uses standardized measurements, there are a lot of situations that you kind of just can get fucked over if you're in that situation. Like my parents make a crap ton of money, but they also spend it all and are not you know going to help me out. So it's like, oh, well, now your ECF or your expected family contribution, your EFC is is like $100,000, but your parents bought five Bentleys and they have no money, <laughs> so you get no aid. Goodbye. Also, you're white and you're a boy and you didn't do much in school, so you're not eligible for any scholarships and goodbye, like that kind of thing. So, you know, it, it falls through for a lot of people and you're right. It is sometimes hard for the parents to provide their financial information. A lot of times they don't know it. Mm. A lot of times I've I've had people email me and they're like, uh, my parents will not give me their information. Like, they refuse to. Mm. And I'm like, I'm sorry, there's not much you can do there. What you can do is you can talk to your financial aid advisor. You can ask them to potentially give you an independence override, but these are very, very rarely given out. And the like, the student loan, like, uh, financialaid.org website says, here's your options. Try to appeal to their sense of humanity. Tell them that God will... Uh, like the religious <laughs> tell them that God will be happy with them if they give if they help you out and provide information like I'm pretty sure it actually says that but you know what you could also do like, is, there's no way to compel them to do it I mean you can't compel them but you could fill out like 90% of the stuff and give it to them be like look don't tell me the information just fill in this last thing slip it in like an envelope and mail it out like the federal government well you can't okay mm. so what you can do you because the federal government already knows how much they huh you can make estimates on your FAFSA so here there, this is a crucial thing on the FAFSA. It is not tied to your taxes. And mm. I, I get this question all the time. If I claim my son is dependent on my taxes, or if they're not claimed as dependent on my taxes, what does that mean for their dependent status on the FAFSA or independent? I'm like, they're, they're totally separate. You look at the rules for the FAFSA, not your taxes. Um, and so one thing you can do on the FAFSA, if you're filling out your FAFSA before your parents or you have done your taxes for the year, is you can do estimates. So you could say, I estimate we made this much. I estimate this is how much we paid in taxes, that kind of stuff. But what you have to do is when you do the taxes, you have to submit a correction. Mm. So you can't just bullshit the numbers and then you know be all hungry to and say it's good. The school will probably send you a letter saying, we got your FAFSA. Now we're waiting for you to submit a correction when you get your taxes done. So please send that in to us. Hmm. So you can't really just make it up. You need... You need the information, and sometimes it just doesn't happen. It doesn't you know? You don't get it. So you're saying that if your parents make three hundred thousand dollars a year, and you submit the FAFSA, and it says they make twelve thousand dollars a year, so you get like a it doesn't work. Yeah, I think I think there's going to be problems there. So <laughs> be honest on your FAFSA. <laughs> Look, dude, you you brought I up. I mean, we could do yeah. 
Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say you brought you brought up like work study, and yeah. I know a lot of people who were on it. I unfortunately did not get it. It seemed like the sweetest deal ever, like for the kids, you know, for like my friends and stuff who were doing it. I I all I know is that like they were able to get jobs that were not available to me because I didn't yeah. have work study. Um, and I think it's because the government helps contribute some of their wage and stuff, yep. but could you like lay it down for us? Yeah. So, so work study, and this, this can differ by a school, but essentially what work study is, is the government will provide a work study, uh, fund to the school and then the school will distribute that to specific, you know, jobs on campus that they want to make as work study eligible positions. So if you are a kid with work study eligibility, like say you know the FAFSA has granted you X amount of dollars, you know per semester or this semester. Like oh you can you can make three thousand dollars of work study. That means that if you go find a job on campus that is work study eligible, then part of your wages will be paid from the work study fund that the school has gotten from the government, rather than the department having to use only their budget to pay. So you. they're like way more likely to hire you one yes, and two give you a ton of hours because they almost like don't care. Yeah, because they don't have to expend their budget to pay you. The work study fund is paying a lot of your wages, so it's it's much less costly for them. So they'll put, uh, you know, they'll put priority in hiring work study eligible kids. And I've I've heard that in some schools they have work study programs where they will actually help you find a job on campus. Mine was not like that. It was like, oh, if you're work study eligible, you need to use the online job board uh, that we have for campus and find your own job. But, you know, you'll probably still have a better chance of getting hired because so it costs them less. My school is actually like that as well, where they wouldn't, like, seek you out and be like, hey, you could take the, like, you kind of apply. But uh, here's the thing. So it, it was, I remember it was awesome. They got paid, like, well above minimum wage at my school to do shit like uh, mm. monitor the door to dorms so that kids don't, you know, whatever. Um, and uh, the how do you get yourself qualified? Is it only the FAFSA? Like through that formula, either qualify or not, and that's it? I believe so. Yeah, because it's it's uh you know it's a fe- it's federal work study. So, and I'm looking at the page right here in the student uh, government page just to make sure. But yeah, I'm um, pretty sure. So yeah, you can check with the financial aid office to see if your school participates in it. Not every school actually participates in it unfortunately. So it's, it's very much like you got to know how much involvement your school has with the process, how oh. much aid they provide and everything. But yeah, your FAFSA will tell you how much, you know, federal aid will be provided through work study. Dude. So correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but even if like you do this work study thing, you know, and then you get like, I don't know, maybe they give you like 20 hours a week or something like in college, generally speaking, you have a shitload of time. Time, free time, like you kind of just, you have a lot of time. I mean, that depends too. So uh, personally, I worked 20 hours a week, like from the get-go. Mm. First, like actually the, the, the two weeks before my semester started for my freshman year, I was working 40 hours a week because uh, the job I got was in the tech support department. So we actually had to help like everyone move into the dorms and you had everyone's hours. like, yeah. I don't know how to get my internet hooked up. How do I hook up my Xbox? Like. Answering those questions for 40 hours. I forgot my password. So, and then the moment classes started, I was doing 20 hours a week. So, Mm. I fortunately was able to do a lot of my classes, uh, you know, college credits in high school. So, I could basically just take 12 credits a semester for most semesters. 
but it was still like 12 hours a week of class and then 20 hours a week of work. And then I was involved in clubs and everything. So well, clubs I are didn't fun. Have, Hanging out with friends is like fun and, and stuff. Like, well, clubs aren't always fun. Like one of the clubs I was in was Business Council, and that was like I'm I was going to say if the club's not fun. Why, why are you in the club? <laughs> because as a freshman, my my mind was like, the longer your resume, the better off you're gonna be. So <laughs> I was in a bunch of like not fun clubs. Okay, so so I think your experience is completely different from mine because I I joined. I actually got <laughs> well. Then maybe this this says the story right here. My first semester, I had a one point three. Like I just totally, I was like, this is great. I have all the free time in the world to do whatever I want. And then I'm like, you know, after I got one point three, it's like, sorry, mom, oh. I'll try better. <laughs> but I mean, even still, like. You know, going to class, doing the studying thing. I was, like, very active in my fraternity and, and whatever. And I felt like there was a lot of free time. And uh, in these, like, hours where I could have been playing video games or could have just been, like, sleeping, whatever, I was working with a professor. Like, you know, he contracted work to me, development work. I was cheap. I wanted yeah. to do stuff. He needed stuff. We kind of, like, worked on this startup-y thing that didn't succeed. But, like, you have this time to do other things like you could do your work study make my i worked at the movie theater you could do something like that and you could also start up something on the side yeah um so let's talk about jobs real quick number one in the most part i do recommend having a job in school mm. because you know I, I can i can be kind of blanket about this because i've had friends who found jobs on campus that were like eight hours a week mm. like you probably have eight hours a week unless you're like triple majoring in like history and Russian and French and you literally have no, I don't know. Uh, I did 20 hours a week and I still, I still had, you know, um, a good amount of free time to do clubs and to have fun and all that kind of stuff. It gives you money. One, it helps you with time management too. And three, it gives you money. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I, I have like a hierarchy of job desirability in, in college. So at the top, if you can find a job that has to do with your major and will give you like direct experience, then you both get paid, but you're also like amping your skills for taking it to the real world. Mm. And that's, that's kind of what you want to think about. Like, yes, it's good to have a job in college that kind of makes me some money so I can start paying down my debt or paying off school while I'm in school. But you also want to start like building your skills because every hour you put into your skills kind of gives you a multiplier for how much you'll be able to make once you graduate. And and I think the the so first of all, absolutely. And I think there's like one side effect that like never gets talked about, but I think it is maybe even more important. Is like, yeah, you're going to earn some money. You know, it's obviously going to be whatever per hour or something way less than you'll make in like 10 years and you know, you'll be able to build your resume, but Doing things related to what you may do and work, you know, for for your job in the future and stuff like that is going to build your confidence and like your personal feeling that you can do this. Yeah. And one of the things that gets you jobs, probably the biggest thing that gets you jobs, is confidence. The yeah. thing that that is going to get you into that room, asking the guy for a raise or whatever, like, and just. All these things, it's like this fluffy skill. And I feel like you learn these things, but you also build confidence. And that's just like so important. Yeah. Uh, I'll actually tell you a story. So as a freshman, like first year of college, uh, I signed up to go to this like 
Um, it was like a professional building, like skill building conference that this Fortune 500 company was putting on. Mm. So I went to it, and what they did was actually paired everyone in the conference up with a mentor in the company, and I got paired up with the VP of IT of the entire company, or maybe wow. on the operations side. So pretty high up dude. And because I had been working 20 hours a week in the tech support department and like trying to sort of educate myself on IT, I was able to basically have a like normal level conversation about corporate level IT systems with this guy as if I knew what I was talking about. That's awesome. And because of that, I'm confident that that is one of the main factors why they hired me for an internship without even interviewing me. Hmm. I applied, they called me up and said, we don't even need to interview you. We're going to hire you. This is a fortune 500. Right. Because I was able to, I had the confidence to talk with somebody who was a VP of IT as an 18-year-old freshman about, you know, IT stuff because I had that work experience. So that's why that's at the top of my, my little hierarchy of job desirability. Right below that, if you can find something that's going to build your soft skills, anything in the areas that are around your specific skill set that will bolster your chances of getting hired. So say I had a job as an RA. I had to manage people. I had to do a lot of planning um, a lot of you know interpersonal relationships kind of stuff that was incredibly beneficial or like working the desk at the career center i had to do and said like schedule appointments call up the career advisors like talk to them about their availability for appointments communication skills were built through that dude that will get you hired as well i, I have a question for you so um obviously it's important you know to pay for college and, and most people are not like grace you know their parents are just gonna pay whatever so i'm in college I okay. need to either pay for my college while I'm there or take the debt with me into the future. And I'm, I'm posed with this opportunity where I could do an internship, but it's going to be unpaid. So, uh, but, but I obviously need to earn money and I need to pay down my degree. Like, how do you feel about that? Like, obviously, like, you know, the unpaid internship gives experience, but how do you feel about it, like, under the guise of, you need to pay for your education and you don't want to pay interest on your, you know, your, your education. Yeah. So the, I mean, then you got to weigh the costs and the benefits of that. Like how bad do you want it? Right. Well, like, like, if you well, want to work in the, in the music industry and 50 cents, like come work at my record studio, I'm not going to pay you, but it's 50 cent. Like <laughs> you do it. Right. Mm. But if it's like, Dunder Mifflin paper and they're going to have you like sweeping the floors unpaid internship and you get no skills out of it then fuck that right oh, it depends if Steve's you. there <laughs> <laughs> yeah so there's a lot of schools of thought you know there's an entire school of thought that thinks unpaid inter internships are like unethical and they're just bad you should never do one well, do and then there's like so you don't theory. think they're unethical uh, it's, it's tough to say you know well, okay. It's like personally, if it was something I wanted bad enough and they weren't going to pay me, I would still find a way. I'll give you, I'll give you like a, a scenario that I've heard many times, and maybe this is New Yorkish. <coughs> Bless you. Bless you. <laughs> who who teases sneezes two times in a row? Uh, me. <laughs> so okay, I'll I'll give you a scenario. Um, I feel like this is often in New York. We have like the Daily Show records here. You know, Stephen Colbert did Conan O'Brien when he was doing his thing for a while, and you know, so I knew people that they like maybe they want to like they don't even know what they want to do. Maybe they want to yeah. go into this field, but it's like I could work for Conan O'Brien, and so they go, but they're not getting paid, and they'll do it for like a year, two years. So maybe like you could provide some sort of. Look, like, using your own judgment is, like, so fluffy. That's, like, 
you know, either fill your credit card limit to the max <laughs> or not. I mean, like, use your judgment. Be a reasonable person. Like, I think we, if you could provide, like, some guidelines on, like, when you shouldn't take these opportunities, when you should go for the money, you know, and stuff like that. I mean, honestly, it's really tough to say. You know, I mean, you have to look at your situation. You have to say, you know, what's my probability of being able to pay off any debt that I might accrue? How much do I have now? What is it going to cost me to live? You know, mm-hmm. if if I can do my internship in Ames, Iowa, and and like have monthly expenses of seven hundred bucks, and it's a three month internship, then that's you know a lot more attractive than if it's like, oh, this is in Manhattan, and it's gonna you know it's gonna cost you twenty five hundred dollars a month to live, and they're mm-hmm. not gonna pay you. It might be different, you know. What's your situation? It's really tough. It's it's very tough to give like a hard guideline for this because we're talking about we're talking about like not hard data opportunities here. Like you don't know what going to work for John Stewart or not and just taking like the paid internship at the office down the road is going to do. Like you don't know what the difference is going to be 10 years from now. Mm. So I wish I could give you like a hard and fast okay, if X amount of your income is this and the expenses are going to be that, then do it. But then, you know, some, like some dude tomorrow will work out, out of woodwork for, and he'll be like, yeah. yeah, I ate rice and eggs and, and filled my credit card, but now I'm freaking a baller and I know Steve Carell and I hung out with <laughs> him last night and went to dinner, you know? What I could tell you with confidence from doing LMM for however long <laughs> and, and for you doing your thing is that no matter what you say, a dude will come out of the woodwork and, and he will not agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll get a one-star review on iTunes. Exactly. And they'll tell me to talk he will make it his personal mission to to take you down but yeah i will say personally i wanted to get paid as an intern you know Mm. and it wasn't even like i think when i was going for my internship this was right after freshman year like uh, i went to the summer i did a on-campus job and then sophomore year immediately i started looking for internships in august which you should do much earlier than all the other people do it Mm. and i wanted to be paid and it wasn't even like, I want to pay off my debt now. And I was like, I just want, I want to have money, you know? And I was even going to live with my parents, but I, I just wanted to have money. Like a value of mine was to have money and not be eating rice and eggs and not having to say, oh, I can never go out and do anything. Look, so, not, not that there's anything wrong with rice and eggs. You know? I mean, rice and eggs are good, but sometimes I want some like chicken and beer. I don't know. <laughs> chicken and beer. <laughs> so, okay. There, there's this vein of thought where it's, you know, I know I need to make money. I want to pay my school my school loans, whatever, just, you know, pay for college. But working is going to detract from me educating myself. And, you know, I may make money now, but I'm going to sabotage my education. How do you feel about that? It's bullshit. <laughs> so I agree, but, but go, go on because... So let me tell you about a concept that I came up with called the student success triangle. Mm-hmm. So I think to, to be tr- the Triforce, yeah, the trifecta, the tri-hard, uh, I don't know. I was thinking Legend <laughs> of Zelda. <laughs> holding All right, it. yes. If you want to defeat Ganondorf, you need these three things. Um, <laughs> I think, so there's like three things you need to be successful. And the first one is learning, right? So, mm. you know, at the top of the triangle is learning. And the next one is value creation, which is what you do when you go to work. You know, you create things of value. You, you make output. And then Does the, it have to be for someone else? No, just 
some sort of creation of value. And I think when you when you sit in class, there's very little value creation there. It's mostly learning. You're mostly intaking things. You know, you might make school projects, but a lot of that won't see you know the light of day. A lot of it won't end up on your portfolio because it was just a school project. So look, if if I'm a designer or an architect or something, and I like you know mock up like a house or I or I draw some like crazy thing, and it's not for a class. It's not for money or necessarily to build a bigger project. You're saying it's still worth it because I created yeah. something of mm. exactly. Yeah, you, you're doing the work, right? You're taking the skills that you took, you learned in the learning part of the triangle, and you're applying that to create something of value. Whether the whole, or not like, it's ten thousand hours to an expert. Yes. Yeah. Whether or not it's utilized by somebody or not, you know, and, and being utilized by by people will help with the third part of the triangle, which is relationship building. Mm. So you need to build relationships with others. Like interactions make up all of modern human existence, right? You know, otherwise we would be foraging for berries. Mm. So you need all three of these things. And if you're only sitting in class all the time, just trying to learn, you get, you're getting one, you're neglecting relationship building or you're neglecting value creation. You need all three. And going out and getting a job and doing an internship will help with relationship building because you're meeting coworkers, you're, you're networking to do that. And then you're also getting an opportunity to create value and get feedback on it, Right. Mm. And and maybe have it be used and, and help some people in the real world. Now, you can do this on your own as well, but a job gives you structured opportunities. It gives you, uh, you know, a challenging path to grow into. So that's why I think that you should never just think that I should only focus on my studies. It's a terrible idea. And honestly, I usually tell people if if you're choosing between double majoring and like and using that extra time on jobs and extracurriculars and stuff, take the extracurricular stuff. Take the you know, the other more involved stuff, unless you have a very specific job path that needs both majors. So you're saying like, if, if you get in there and you try and like Hulk it or like superhero it and it's like, oh, I'm going to do like two majors and like a minor and whatever, like you're like, it's bullshit. Like you're not really getting more out of your time. Like your time is better used, like trying to create stuff like leverage relationship with teachers and stuff like that, yeah. as opposed to like, Taking more class because I mean, and I totally agree with that. Like, I'm like asking the question, but I, I so agree. Yeah, like, like if I add on another random major to try to impress people, like that time could be better used doing research with a professor, you know, and making something yeah. awesome, and then getting an amazing recommendation letter from that person, you know. And I'm not saying it's always a bad idea to double major, and it's certainly a better use of your time over just playing video games and wasting a bunch of your time, but. I feel like you need to be looking at those other two parts of the triangle and thinking, how can I get experience in those areas too, not all just right. learning. All right, so so I feel like we covered like pretty solidly, like a lot of like the income piece, possible like grants and stuff, and I think like the one piece, like like the least sexy piece, but probably the one that that needs the most talk or, or discussion or just kind of like internalization is the controlling of costs because I know, for mm. example, people that I went to school with, they would get like some federal something and they, I don't even know how it works, but they get cash also for like living expenses yeah. in addition to whatever. And they would like blow it on like the most ridiculous things. Cause that's like almost like they won the lottery. And how do you, uh, control your costs in school you know, still have fun because I mean, it's it's going to be like one of the most awesome times of your life because you just kind of yeah. do whatever, and and you don't want to be a stick in the mud, like have no fun. But how mm. do you kind of like keep it reasonable, um, and not like shoot yourself in the foot for the next like thirty years of your life? 
Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, my next interview is in 10 minutes. And I did a podcast on this myself that was 40 minutes. So, mm. there's way more that I could talk on. What's the name what of this? What's the name of this episode? Here. So yeah, I'll just um, I'll, I'll point you guys to a couple of resources that I made. The first one is called "The Ultimate Guide to Budgeting in College." Mm. Uh, it's it's a blog post I wrote, but it's a very long blog post, so I also added an an audio narration to it. So uh, we'll have that in the show notes, and that you can read it or you can listen to it. And then there's also a post I wrote called "39 Ways to Cut the Cost of College," which is just some a list of ideas on how you can actually save money on specific mm. things. So there's all sorts of things you can do, but really I think it comes down to just smart you know, system of allocating your money into the right places. And that way you'll know, this is how much I can have fun with because this is what's going to my fixed expenses. This is what I need to save for like textbooks and stuff down the road because as a student, you have semesterly expenses. And then this is how much that I can apply to my debt or that I need to be saving, etc. You know, mm. just because you're a student doesn't mean you shouldn't have like an emergency fund or, you know, a buffer in your checking account, that kind of stuff. True. You know, just... Don't be like, oh, I'm young. I can live paycheck to paycheck, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I don't think that's the smart thing to do. Um, one thing we didn't cover is scholarships, which we could probably do an entire episode. I feel like that's like a whole other thing. <laughs> so, all right, well, we'll do another thing on it. And I actually yeah. just want to like double check because I'm pretty sure that um, when you – yeah, okay. Because – we're going to include a bunch of resources from, you know, your site and because and you've done a lot of stuff on this. If you're in like the iTunes podcast app or, or Overcast or pretty much any of them, we actually include the entirety of our show notes in the like the app. So like say you're. Oh, yeah. Say you're like in the podcast, the, the iTunes uh, built in iOS podcast app. When you're listening, you see that beautiful picture of Thomas's face and my face. And I mean, sometimes I just look at it because it's it's beautiful. I mean, especially my my scrub that I have. But but you can also <laughs> tap our faces or that area, and the show notes will come up, and the links are in there. Like oftentimes, like the yeah. beers we drink, and so like um, you could be commuting and listening and going to the resources. So yeah. And I use uh, Pocket Casts on my phone, and I can just swipe left, and then the show notes come up, and I see the whole blog post in there, which is awesome. Um, so I, I guess I will mention, you guys interviewed somebody named Shanice Miller. Which was amazing. She blew yeah. our – well, you said scholarships, and that was the first thing I thought of because yep. she was like – she did the rundown. Yeah. So – And uh, you know We'll include that in the we'll show notes that as well. We'll have the show notes. Like, I also uh, interviewed her on my podcast, so mm. maybe we could have both in there just like – you yeah. can do scholarship smorgasbord, and I, I have like a bunch of notes for a scholarship post that I'm going to write eventually in the future as well. So we can get into that later, but I think that's what you're thinking of when when it's said that millions of dollars are left on the table. It's I, it's generally like private scholarships that haven't been claimed or it, applied for. You know? In my mind, I just wanted to say like that that Shanice Miller like interview. It was like filthy rich. And in, in, in knowledge, so yeah. I remember there was at one point I asked her a question to see was like, "You're not gonna get me to give away all my tips." <laughs> I'm like, yes, I am. <laughs> I'm good at asking questions." <laughs> but yeah, um, we should probably start wrapping up on yeah. this one. Hopefully, this was valuable valuable to you guys. Sometimes I can't talk. Uh, if you have extra questions, like specific questions, definitely help us like build out new show topics, and we can certainly. 
um, continue on. One thing I wanted to mention through the entire episode that I didn't mention mm. is that many, if not all schools, will let you pay monthly for tuition and for dorms. Mm. But you have to ask. Because they and then would, it's much easier to manage. Semesterly, then. here's $3,500 you got to pay for your tuition. Yes. But you can ask them, is there a monthly option? And then they'll be like, oh, sure. Yeah, here it is. And then you can sign up for monthly billing. Huh. So, And that might work for your parents, too. Maybe your parents don't have the money to drop $3,500 right now. So they're like, let's just get you some student loans. But if you ask, what about monthly payments? They're like, oh, well, that's a little bit more reasonable. That's like less than our mortgage. You know, that kind of thing. So a semester so just, is what, five months on average? or, or is it- Yeah, yeah, basically. Hmm. So, I mean, you could pay, yeah, you could be paying quite a bit less, you know, on a monthly basis. You end up paying the same amount, but it might be more manageable. Hmm. And I think, honestly. That's a good tip. You know, I don't, I don't regret anything because I'm pretty happy with my life right now. But honestly, I, having worked 20 hours a week in school, I probably could have asked about paying my dorm monthly. And I may have been able to actually cover that myself. But I didn't. I just blindly took the the student loan and ended up with 15, 15K in debt. You know, I might not have had that if I had asked about the monthly payments. Right. So, right. yeah, definitely look into that. Um, beyond that, yeah, just send us your questions. Definitely want to uh, hear them and we can cover them when they come. Absolute, dude. Yeah, cool. So, hey, if you got questions, uh, you can always send us send them over to listenmoneymatters at gmail.com. Uh, Andrew will take care of most email questions, but if they're about college, then I can definitely answer them and we'll definitely build them into new shows. All right. Got approval to send emails Tom's yeah. this way. Open the floodgates. I'm going Let's to reject. bury him. Oh, God. In the time we've been recording this, there are five new emails in my inbox. That's it? Well, yeah. No, no. That's, and that's also, like ridiculous. Zach already. Sexton's going to be mad at me for having a little, little number icon on my tab. <laughs> that's fine <laughs> proactivity tip don't have your email tab open which i usually don't but i uh, dude today, i listen to you i don't have stressful. any alerts on my phone like ever yes so i just ah. go out do my thing and it's it's so helpful beyond helpful yeah yeah i just try to get into the inbox like once a day twice a day maybe and just cleared out mm. also one thing i've learned like holy crap gmail keyboard shortcuts are so awesome Ooh, I, i've not tried them it's it's so cool. Like I can hit O to open a open a message, then I can hit L to label it. I can hit R and then reply, tab enter, it sends it, and then E oh, wow. archives it. You're like, like never super have to take more my keyboard. And I, then I can just blow through my queue. I don't label anything. I have like some auto labels in there. It's either auto labeled or that's it. I wonder how many like dollars I'm gonna save over my lifetime just based on becoming more efficient with email. <laughs> <laughs> either that or I'm inviting more email. But anyway. Uh, hey, if you want to get involved with the show, then you can go over to listenmoneymatters.com slash get involved, and there you'll find instructions on how to subscribe to the podcast, which will get you the new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Also, subscribing helps bump our show up the rankings in iTunes. That's always a good thing. And uh, Which, by the way, we were number five in investing today. Were we? I think yeah. we were like 25 in business overall. Dude, we were, so. we were like 22 or 23 today in business. Like, we, Oh, nice. For some reason, we're just like killing it today. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe one day mine will get that high. <laughs> anyway, also, if you want to leave a review and rating on iTunes, it also helps us out a lot. And I'm going to read a review real quick. Five stars from Shred is Dead. who says, I can't even begin to say how much this podcast has helped me. Growing up, I never learned about budgeting or finances and made some pretty poor decisions in my life because of that. Thanks to these guys, though, I'm out of credit card debt, have an emergency fund, a budget, and just 
put together my first set of investments. This podcast offers practical advice for people, uh, regular people, and assumes no prior knowledge of anything financial. I should oppose you, uh, should at least know what money is. <laughs> their advice is simple to follow, their tips are insightful, and if you combine this podcast with reading their articles, you will get fiscally smarter. It's it's inevitable, Mr. Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> Do yourself a favor and check out just a couple of shows, especially if you want to climb out of a financial pit. You won't be disappointed. Yeah. Thank you, Shred is Dead. That's awesome. I freaking love that. Yeah, like emergency fund, budget, investments are starting. This guy's got on lock. That's right. All right. Or maybe girl. I don't know. Which... Shred. 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 on lock. Yeah, Shredder. Oh, it's the teenager. I, I was just thinking that like, this overgrown rat or mouse that knows karate <laughs> has finally has his finances that's under control. Splinter. That's Splinter, you dingus. Oh, that's shit. You're right. Shredder's the, the bad guy with the Yeah, the he's mask. got like the freaking samurai like Onimusha armor and I don't even, he's probably human. Like but... I'm like 10. He's the bad guy. He's a bad guy. Well, he is a bad guy. Yeah, that's right. It's nice bad guy. man. Bad man. <laughs> Anyway, hey, if you want to find our favorite money management resources, not including links to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles videos, but including our favorite books, tools for managing your money, budgeting stuff, any all kinds of cool stuff like that, head on over to listenmoneymatters.com slash toolbox. That's all we got for this episode, so thanks again for hanging out with us, and we will see you in the next episode. Later, dude. Later, man. Tell your friends about this show.